So who are these conspiracy theorists or conspiracists? What kind of a person is someone who believes in conspiracy theories? A lot of them are probably in your family. Some of them are probably friends. For example, my friend, John Poston. John Poston is an American like me living here in Prague. Uh, he's a theater artist. Hi, John. Hi, Derek. You leave the world behind and enter a large chamber filled with boxes and crates as far as the eye can see. Welcome to The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. The podcast that takes a rather skeptical look at conspiracies and mysteries. Each episode will examine various conspiracy theories, most of which are not true, a few of which might be a little bit true, and even a couple that turned out, in fact, to be true. There are many boxes in the clearinghouse, and along the way, we'll look at some mysteries and hoaxes as well. We dare to look behind the curtain that's behind the curtain. I'm your host, Derek DeWitt. Welcome to the Conspiracy Clearinghouse. call myself a conspiracy theorist but I've, it's something I have thought about and, it's, and, I've, and I've have been on kind of a journey with it mm. enough so that sort of looking at it I, I do have opinions about it without calling myself a conspiracy theorist and I'm, I'm, I'm not a debunker I wouldn't I mean, there's a cottage industry around not just conspiracy theory media but also people that then go and debunk it any public issue can be turned into a conspiracy theory the funny thing is it used to be kind of associated with people that you would call politically say liberal or on the on the left but that's definitely not true anymore either i was reading a book about conspiracy theorists it was a, it was a, a debunker i believe because you know you got to try and take in both sides mm. and he had laid out this lovely bar graph i don't know whoever did it but they found two groups of people that self-identified one group self-identified as strongly conservative other group self-identified as strongly liberal and they asked both these groups the same two questions or about the same two conspiracy theories one of them was obama was not an american citizen and the other one was 9-11 was an inside job. Right. The hardcore conservatives were 90% Obama is not American, 10% 9-11 was an inside job. And for the hardcore liberals, it was exactly the opposite. 10% Obama was not American, 90% 9-11 was an inside job. And I just, I just had like a, almost like a eureka moment, like an aha moment of, uh, you know, this isn't about the data and the facts and the, and the truth, man. I want the truth. <laughs> it's really, it's an emotional thing. It's, a, it's, a, it's mm. an identity thing. Mm. There are things that just don't happen the way they play out in the whatever the mainstream media is anymore because it's not i don't even know if there is a mainstream i don't think media there is anymore. there's so many streams anymore i don't know maybe i'm like a like a meta conspiracy theorist because i'm just so <laughs> skeptical about just kind of like everything that because also that's the other thing is some of them have been around for so long there becomes like a, an accepted counter version of what happened right and you can and you can argue against that and all of a sudden, the people that said conspiracy theorists that said no, the the main story is not true. This is true, and you treat that with the same amount of skepticism that they treat the official version. And all of a sudden, you're the crazy wacko because the conspiracy theorists are calling you a wacko because you don't agree with them. And again, it comes down to an, an identity thing. Like you, you don't you don't you believe a conspiracy theory, but it has then it has to be the right 
conspiracy theory. It has to be the right explanation. If you think about any complicated event, not just in history, but even just things in your own life, events in your own life, and think about just all the little strands of things that went into it and all the different little things that were influencing it and all the mm. all the little bits that had to come together in exactly a certain way for what happened to, to happen. That's an interesting idea that because, yeah, everything does happen in a very connected way and we talk about the connected world now with the mm. uh, World Wide Web, but we've Mm. We've always had a network or a web, or most of us have, of some sort, and, and nothing happens in isolation. Mm. And yet then, perhaps when somebody is feeling disconnected, even though they are mm. connected, they just forget that they are. Or mm. They don't feel like they are. Yeah. And then they, they do this maybe as an attempt to reach out and feel that connection yeah. somehow to something larger than themselves. Another thing that I learned about it is that I'm, I'm a theater guy. I'm a writing guy. I just love stories because everyone loves stories. But I love stories even probably more than the average. And in reading about stories and creating narratives and stuff like that, I came across, I think it's from Mark Twain, something to the to the effect that stories have to make sense because life doesn't. And it's it's advice to writers because sometimes writers, when they not, they're not doing their homework and they, they want to kind of fudge past a thing and they say, well, that's just going to happen because of chance because chance things happen yes chance things do happen but you're probably not gonna get away with it in a story but when they do happen in real life and they they happen in real life all the time and sometimes very significant things just come out of nowhere that totally happens and that's just the indifference of the universe to us it becomes another source of comfort like okay it, it wasn't just this incredibly uh, almost impossible series of coincidences no it was the evil clan behind it because at least that's like oh so now it's like a marvel movie now it's oh it's them they did it and you, you get your context right. back and then all of a sudden you're significant because you're significant enough for someone to be evil to i mean that's how i got over my i, I was a ah, little that's bit that's interesting I, yeah. I got a you're little, deserving of yeah being targeted you're, you're, by the evil you're one. in the story now you're part right. of the which plot. makes you a hero if they're evil you're yeah, a hero yeah. and or what you're if you're not a hero then you're so valuable that the hero sacrifices themselves right. to save you which is even better in some ways after reading that study about how people identify with their brand of conspiracy theories mm-hmm. i kind of came up with two things because there's still, I mean, I love stories and I love high stakes stories and stories with surprises and the, you don't know who the real villain is until the end. And I still love all that stuff. But I, now that I'm aware of it, if a conspiracy theory kind of pops up on my radar, I have two little touchstones that I have. The very first one, I'll check in with myself. Like, is this making me feel good and just the straight up kind of indulgent? Yeah, my guys are the good guys. I'm in the know. I know more than these fools out there. Is it making me feel that? Because that's a red flag. That is... <laughs> That is, you know, that... Do, do I feel like I'm gaining from yeah, this? Yeah, does, it, does, from it, does, my sofa? does this just gratify me either because it's a great story or because it's, yeah, it's showing that I was right all along about this group or that guy or this, right. that, and the other. Now, that doesn't mean it's not true. Right, but that's something that makes, you, just, makes you go, oh, I should It's just something reconsider. That, that for me is like, okay, I'm not going to bite down all the way on right. this for sure. Like on a personal level, on a micro level, then on a macro level, I'll look back at it and try to see if there was some kind of significant social change or policy change or, uh. s- or did something happen afterwards that would not have happened without this catalyst so, like 9-11 clearly that's the classic the, one. the americans changed their the way that they do things that's, in the world that's the classic that's it the became, one right there it became you know forget the speak softly speak loudly and carry a big stick yeah yeah but don't plan how to use it and, and then oops oh gosh yeah and especially when you have people doing 
holding the stick, carrying, signing their name to a document saying we need to we need another horrible surprise attack like Pearl Harbor so that we can start swinging the big stick around. Otherwise, people aren't going to go in for it. Project for a New American Century. Who were the neocons? Rumsfeld and uh, Cheney. Cheney, but the other guy, guys that were working below Rumsfeld. And they, yeah, they were yeah. literally the, the architects of the plan. They were all these Project for a New American Century guys. And then you said, well, yeah, but these guys are public figures and they may, maybe they belong to 300 organizations like that. And every time they put out a report, their name goes on it because they want to big themselves up, yada, yada, yada. Or they participated in the discussions. I mean, I, do you know what North uh, Operation Northwood yeah, was? Yeah, yeah, where they were going to blow up planes and blame it on the Cubans. Right. Again, but to be fair, though, both of these things, Northwoods and the, the New American Century, mm-hmm. they weren't plans per se. Yeah. They were they were war game scenarios. Yeah, yeah. You know. I think these, like Operation Northwoods and Project for New American Century, I think they do go up a step further. They weren't action plans, but they were, they fell more on the side of like, we could totally we, do this. We maybe should actually Maybe do we this. should do it. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like, maybe, I'm ready to head and, the project. And not, we're not, not like, put it on the table just so everyone knows it's there. It wasn't that. Mm-hmm. They were like, no, we should actually, we should seriously consider like, This would be a good thing. Well, that's Watchmen, yeah. the whole plot of Watchmen. There's a term out there called uh, homo narratus. Mm-hmm. That we are the storytelling animal. It's, it's mm-hmm. certainly mm-hmm. one of the oldest social activities yeah. that we have. <clears throat> but there's a guy. I don't know if you've ever, ever heard the term so, uh, "homo ludens." Have you ever heard this term, "homo ludens"? I have. I forgot what it meant. But... It's. Uh, it was in the 1930s. It was a Dutch guy, uh, yeah. Johan Hulzinger. Uh-huh. And he, I, I wished I'd been trying to find where I read this story, and I cannot find a reference to it anywhere online. But the, but the story is this: it was like a therapist. Mm-hmm. Mom comes in for therapy. Of course, there's no daycare. She, she brings her daughter, and the, you know, he's a psychiatrist. He doesn't have any toys, <laughs> so he is a smoker of a pipe. However, so he has some spent matches. Oh, I have her. Then she makes a witch out of him. Right. She says, yeah. she says, he gives her three burnt matches. This yeah. guy's like father of the year, right? Yeah. Three burnt matches, <laughs> and she says, "Ah, Hansel, Gretel, and the witch." Yeah. And he makes sure that there that there's no sulfur on them, so they're burnt. Yeah. And he goes into the session with mom, and then a short time later, the girl starts screaming and crying, saying, "Ow, ow, ow! The witch burned me." Mm-hmm. So he thinks, "Oh my God, I screwed up." He checks the matches; they're not warm. They're not. So it's in her head, and so the idea is, Homo Ludens means man, the player, kind of sort of. Oh man, yeah, right, 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 right. The man, the player, yeah. man, the practicer. The idea is that we create hypothetical realities temporarily in our minds and play them out. If I do this, then this, and da-da-da, and then it goes on like this. And we enter into these play states. Mm -hmm. And, you know, we talk about this all the time as adults. God, you know, remember, we used to play. Mm. Here's a stick, Mm -hmm. your friends, and that same empty field that you've been in many, many times. And yet somehow it is the surface of the moon World War One battleground. Yeah, it's it's a it's a hundred different scenarios through sticks yeah. and dirt and some <clears throat> and some rocks and some plants. Yeah, and we don't enter into that anymore. I might maintain that we do enter into it, and that conspiracy thinking is part of that process where we enter into a play state. Yeah. We begin to imagine it as real, and then there's this funny thing about how memory works, which is when you remember something, mm-hmm. you're not remembering the event. Mm-hmm. You're remembering the last time you remembered it. Mm -hmm. This is why memory is so fallible. Yeah. 
And this is why, what, for example, if you witness a crime, police say, do not talk to the other witnesses yeah. because you will mess each other's memories yeah, yeah. up. I can't remember what it was, but there's, there's been so much brain research lately. They say they've learned as much about the brain in the last three years as they had in the previous 3,000. Wow. Because of the sensory advances and the ability to share. So like if someone's doing something cutting edge on the other side of the world, it might have been 10 years before you heard about it, but now you can hear about it the next day. It's happening. Right. And they've learned so much about memory. You're right. Memory is, we always want to try and have a metaphor, right? So our memory is like, a, it's like a video camera or it's like a recording device. Right, but it isn't. It's not. It's, the, your memory is not, it's, its purpose is not to record facts. Its purpose is to support your narrative of who you are. So it's not, it's not a, it's not a video camera. It's more of a script doctor. <laughs> it's, right. It's, it's doing what it will do. It will literally, you won't even know it's doing it. It will lie to you and, and quote unquote, remember things for you to support your version of reality, support your tribal connection that is important to do it. That's right. Why, whatever you it's prioritize. So, it's so notoriously unreliable as evidence in court. And that's not to say that, well, people are, are lying, but there's a part of them, their, their memory, and they, they, they realize too that a lot of sensory perception, when it goes into your brain, goes immediately through a, like a memory center, you know, trying to figure out where this is going to fit and does it need to be altered a little bit to fit into what's already been going on so here's an interesting question when you hear something like you said we have this metaphor that our eyes are cameras and our memory yeah, is yeah. uh is a videotape and our ears yeah. are simply microphones yeah but interesting thing is there are more signals going from your brain to your ear when you're listening to something yeah. than the other way around yeah yeah you hear a noise that. the brain begins to immediately try and categorize yeah. it because my favorite analogy for this is you know we we evolved in the tall grass and there might be food down in there and there might be predators down in there so the faster we can yeah. guess accurately yeah. what made that sound yeah, yeah, yeah. the better chance we have of either not being killed by the predator or finding yeah. food to eat and sustain yeah, us yeah. and ours. And so the same thing happens with visual uh, information as well. The yeah. brain begins to process immediately, I think you're seeing this. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. So then it, you add another layer of memory. Yeah, and, you, and you, it's kind of like the fear thing. Fear, it's not irrational. Now the effects could be external, and it, but the actual what's going on in the, that person's feelings, it's all happening just in that, in that one brain. Everything's got to come through a membrane right we don't yeah. we don't have any direct experience the homo ludens i can't remember where i came across that but it, it really reminds me of a thing from this book you got to read it it's called sapiens by uh, yeah, noah yuval this. harari this is a, this thing is a, such a great book and he mentions what you were talking about the humans having language and he uh, he doesn't agree with that he thinks there's there's language and even the ability to communicate linguistically things that aren't real. Mm. But the thing with humans is we're the only species that can share things that not real. Like you, we can teach. No, we can oh. we can share our fictions. And and it's important ah. fictions because fictions people associate with fiction something that isn't true. That's not right. Fictions, it's not that they're not true, it's that they're man-made. Ah, or, interesting. Or woman-made, whatever. But they are, they're real. It's like an illusion. We say an illusion isn't real. No, an illusion's real. It's just not what it appears to be. Right. So 
fictions are something like that. And humans, it's the only way they've been able to, we've been able to continue this uh, cooperation with each other. Because that's why that's why we kind of physically just sort of stopped evolving. As soon as we got to the point where we could communicate more specifically and more detailed and more effectively than any other species, it was a force multiplier. You get, you get two or three human beings working coordinated together. They can kill a whole herd of buffalo, any right. single one of which has more physical power than a single human being. And, it, and it's, and it's ex it's exponential. It's not like two human beings are equal to five buffalo. Two human beings can be equal to a hundred buffalo in terms of survival and evolutionary consequences. And to get it beyond the family group and then the tribe and then the slightly larger tribe, the only way this kind of communication could keep going is to have these fictions that everyone believed in. So if you meet if you meet someone that you don't know that are not from your immediate family, the one thing you do know is that they believe in the sun god or they believe in the falcon hunter god or something like that you know you have that kind of baseline especially if they're wearing some kind of a symbol that represents that complex yeah, thought. And then it someone goes, wearing the cross it, you're like oh it's a christian yeah and it goes back it goes back to the tribe thing so you already have a baseline of where you can start working with this person mm. but it's all based on something that's that's a fiction because it, it can't all be true like all these competing right. I, they can't all be true none of them are true necessarily Because there is no such thing as a paradox in nature. Paradoxes are because we haven't figured out how to frame uh, the definition or the argument properly. Mm -hmm. So one way to try and circumvent that is whenever you're faced with an or, try an and. Oh, it's this or that. Maybe it's a bit of both. Yeah, yeah. Maybe it's it's neither one, but by using and instead of or, yeah. we might get closer to figure out what it actually is. Yeah, well, that that, that was a thing they, they had to struggle with early in the AI, trying to get artificial intelligence, just like trying to figure out how, okay, we're going to teach this robot what a chair is, because everyone knows a chair is something you sit on. Right. You sit on a chair. Okay, so what if you go in and you see your, your three-year-old is rest their little baby baba on the chair, and they're using the chair like a table. So mm. it's not, it hasn't become a table, but it's it's doing a, a table-like thing. And whereas for people, I was like, okay, that's totally obvious. Duh. But to try and train that from the ground up, what like what is a chair? Well, okay, yeah, it's a thing for sitting on, but you can also put use like a table, use it to prop a door open. You can stand on it like a, You could use it a as ladder. a weapon. You can use, you could drop it on somebody. Yeah, all this stuff. So what they've done, the clever buggers, is they get us on the interwebs. And when we Google search... Uh, bunny rabbit and the Google search throws up a bunch of stuff that people have clicked on with the word bunny rabbit on it and it records what you click on you're basically teaching teaching it what a rabbit that's is. how it prioritizes those the way, guesses yeah like the way a kid would yeah what mama what's that it's a bunny rabbit and oh is that a bunny rabbit no that's a cat oh is that a bunny rabbit yes that is a bunny rabbit you've learned what a bunny rabbit is because you pushed on some that weren't and some that weren't I read a thing somewhere where with all the different neurons the way they can wire together and fire together all the different combinations of brain states you can have with the billions of neurons and how they can connect with the other billions, there's more possible brain states in one human brain than there are atoms in the universe. And yeah, what you mentioned about how there's more signals going to your sense organs than are coming from it. Yeah, we're, we're, we're co-creating in Sapiens. Harari mentions the kind of natural number of humans in a group is somewhere between 50 and 150. Yeah, I've heard that. And number. when you have that number of people, you can 
control them socially with gossip. Mm. In other words, being concerned about what the people immediately around you think about you is enough to influence your behavior to stay so with the program. Standardize and normalize. Yeah, but it's when it's when these groups get bigger than that, that's when you need to have this shared fiction. You need to have the tree goddess or the, the stone monster that will eat you if you go on the other side of that <laughs> line there or whatever because the chief can't be watching everyone who goes up to the place where they're not supposed to go. Nor does he, he or she want to. Mm. All right, I got other things to do, man. People always, there's always Chief's someone. got a chief. There's always someone who's going to want to go over across that line, do what they're not supposed to do. <laughs> yeah, right. um, yeah, the moment the moment we said no, one person out there at least was like, yeah, or yes. There's, a, there's one in every crowd. <laughs> it's usually you, but... Yes, yeah. this, is, this is very true. <laughs> you don't disbelieve conspiracy theories per se no not per se i mean there's weird stuff goes on i'm skeptical but i i see it as a some everybody's got to come to their own peace with i remember when it used to be like like weird to talk about oh the media is lying to us and that's not true and now we, right. <laughs> the president of the united states can't get to a press conference without basically saying there's conspiracies aimed <laughs> against him and if they're aimed against him they're aimed against you and yeah. paranoia paranoia i mean you used to you know you were a weirdo when if you gave any kind of serious consideration of that kind of stuff and now it's just so every day there's nothing unusual about it now mm. it's it's become a little bit meta you don't have to b- say okay I believe in conspiracy theories or I don't believe in conspiracy theories you have to have your theory of conspiracy theories there's so much data you could go you could do one thing you could spend every waking moment on JFK or 9-11 or Sandy Hook or whatever you could get every bit of available data you still would not know everything that happened. Even if you were, had been there. Even if you it would be even worse if you'd been there because you would have had it imprinted on an emotional center of your mind, which would have made the decision for you what what happened. And we we were talking before about how memory is not about recording. Memory is about. About memory. Bol- bolstering <laughs> your narrative of who you think you are, how you think the world works, what you think is happening. And when you go back to remember stuff, your your brain has already worked over that material so much that you, you're not watching a movie in your head. You're getting party line from the survival machinery in your brain about what you saw. And as far as you're concerned, that's what you saw. Well, you know, like uh, one of the one of the big JFK things is, you know, like five percent of the people who were physically there mm-hmm. said they heard a second and sometimes a third shot from over there somewhere, grassy mm-hmm. knoll-ish area, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and that sounds significant until you flip it. Ninety-five percent of the people did not hear anything other than these shots that yeah. we know about. Which, yeah. you know, depending on how you want to frame that, yeah. That's important too. The framing. Who? What side of the are you? Are you coming at it from? And the, and one of the sort of arguments for the, the JFK conspiracy, because one of the, the the debunking tactics is like, oh, how could you get all those people to believe all that and go along with this? Where I, for me, that's not a problem because you don't get them necessarily to believe all that and go along. You find their self interest mm. and you go to work on that because there's a story that Johnson went to. To, to Chief Justice Warren to impanel this commission and come to a predetermined conclusion of the lone gunman and all that. And Warren's like, no, I'm an officer of the court. We need to have evidence and due process and all this. And Johnson said, look, the military and a lot of right-wing dangerous parts of this country are convinced Cuba did it. If we really get into what really happened, uh, we're going to have World War III. So you can, you know, 
tell the truth and be a, you know be an officer of the court and a good chief justice and all that and get to the bottom of this and you know 500 million people are going to die mm. or we'll take care of Castro we'll we'll get that son of a bitch but you just you give these guys something to chew on and just you know sh- you want to you want to write the write the death warrant for half of humanity you go right ahead especially when they're in a, a, a moment of shock like after something like that then it's not about getting them to buy into this or that or the other. I mean, I'm not a conspiracy theorist, but I, I get just as worked up with people that are automatically right. de- debunkers. Like, oh, no, that's not possible. And the, the one that... None of them are true. The one of them, the, the one that gets me the most and it just, just makes my ears curl whenever I hear it is when someone's being presented with research or arguments or evidence and they're 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 stymied and they just they say but there's no way people in power our government would would just sign off on the deaths of all those people or would just be three thousand people die just like that and i just want to say you are so naive you are you got to be you got to be kidding me Mm. that is not a that is not a healthy way to think you you got to be more skeptical than that at least have an equal amount of respect for someone else who who is Maybe maybe thinking the other way. I mean, right. Well, you know, you you you've mentioned to me before that JFK. I've I've made a joke in the past that JFK is sort of the gateway drug mm. for conspiracies, mm. and that was your gateway drug, right? That was my gateway drug. Yeah. What was it? Was it high school or college? I was. Or? I had a great experience in high school in AP U.S. history. The last month of junior year in high school, we'd taken the AP test. So we didn't. We didn't have. I mean, we still had to go to like school. Like, you're done. We were done, but we still had to go to school. Right. And my AP history teacher was this really cool guy. Great teacher, ton of integrity. Not a kook at all. Super responsible, super organized, super accountable. And the last thing we did was this unit on, you know, some weird things around the uh, the JFK assassination. Mm. To the point, it was like, wow, yeah, there's, there is something going there on. There are a lot of coincidences. There's a lot of weird stuff happening there. And so to have this come from a from an authority figure that I, I really trusted, I didn't, he had, he had nothing to gain from, he didn't, there was, there, and it probably, if anything, there was probably kind of a risk. And that was when I was in high school, but then when I got kind of older and it re-entered my life at various times. There are so many little details to look at yeah. that, yeah, I mean, you can, I met a guy when I was living in Brno many years ago back in the 90s. He said he was a professional JFK conspiracy researcher and had been for 20 years. Yeah, it's a cottage industry, sure. And I said, really? So, okay, smarty pants. What's the story? And he said, okay, you know the Oliver Stone film, JFK? Yeah. He said, I believe that is the actual story of the death of John F. Kennedy, but 10 times more people. Yeah. Each of those characters is a conglomerate of a bunch of different people. Yeah, that was kind of, that was my second exposure to it when that movie came out. And it, it kind of it pushed me over the bump of like, wow, it was really interesting when we looked at that in high school, but there wasn't that much information out there, and I kind of let it go. Oh, now I'm really interested. And I was in college at that point. I remember they showed it like at the student union, like it was for a student showing, and it cost a buck or something. Um, and it, just, it, it blew me away. I was still talking about it the next day, and I was talking to a guy who was one of my better friends in college at that point. And I was like, man, did you, did you go to JFK yesterday? He's like, nah. I said, man, I did. It just it blew me away. It was, ah, I couldn't believe it. And my, my friend's like, oh, yeah, I don't believe you because it was so fake. It was so just full. It just didn't happen. We had just kind of done our own little tribal signaling and like come to a moment of like, oh, we might, we might not be in the same tribe after all. 
that was the first kind of uh, kind of presented us with the first kind of information problem that we have now. It used to be we don't know things because we don't have enough information, and now we can't be sure of things because even if we feel like we have enough information, there's all this other information on the the other side, and we don't know if we've picked the right information. Information is a commodity, and it used to be a privilege to have access to information. In this day and age, the privilege is is knowing what information you can you can ignore, is because it's just, <laughs> it's, just, it's just data, and there's just so much of it. Like, well, let's go back to the Kennedy thing. I mean, I, d- I definitely think there was a there was a setup and a, and a uh. conspiracy, and and. And, and that one even, isn't even that controversial anymore because technically the, the view of the U.S. government technically is that he was killed by a conspiracy. They don't name names because the, the, the right. Warren Report is not the last word on that. There was a House Committee on Assassinations, right. which is a, an official U.S. government proceeding, and their final report says that he was probably killed by more than more than one person. So it's, you're not right. even really getting into weird territory if you if you think that way. But 43% of Americans disbelieve the lone gunman theory on yeah, JFK's yeah. assassination, which is astonishing. Yeah. And that one it's relatively easy cuz there's so much when you when you just kind of pick into it a little bit, you you kind of wonder how he made it that long. That guy had so many Because <laughs> yeah. they really didn't like him. So many dangerous, <laughs> violent, aggressive groups of people hated him to an extent that is unbelievable. It's actually it's remarkable that he, he Like more than more than they hated FDR, who they passed an amendment to limit presidential yeah. terms to yeah. two because they hated him so much. Yeah, yeah. And this this was even more this is even mostly hated for his Catholicism or policies, something like with 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 John Kennedy was very personal. With a lot, the the Joint Chiefs of Staff hated him. Right, they hated him. He was having an affair with the, the wife of a CIA officer. Right, hated him. They strung him, left him hanging out in Cuba. Hated him. Oh, that's almost almost a foregone conclusion. Soft isn't on it? the communists. Hated him. They, there was, and these yeah. are not like. It's not like the PTA was upset with them. These these are violent, right? Aggressive groups of people who. Well, this is just after the blacklist too. I mean, so the idea was, if we think you're soft on communism, yeah. it's because you're a communist, yeah, or a communist dupe. Either way, you're evil, evil, evil. You are evil, and we're not. We wouldn't be doing a bad thing by doing this. You got to remember who these guys are. These guys. These were these were guys that had an issue with the policy of containment of communism. Because it wasn't aggressive enough, they didn't. They didn't hate Harry Truman with the visceral disgust and hatred, but they were opposed to him because he wasn't aggressive enough against communism. This was a guy who dropped two atomic bombs. The I mean, only person to yeah. have ever done and, so. And he was. He was not <laughs> aggressive enough. Just do the. Just do the gumshoe work. And motive, opportunity, who benefited from it? Even if they. Even if it was just a. A macho thing, knowing that they that they whacked this guy that they just hated, and, and so many people thought had had it coming to him. But you previously said one of your one of your uh, touchstones mm-hmm. is was there a policy change? Yeah. But what was the policy change post JFK? I mean, well, in many ways, if you're if you're a hardcore, the 1950s should be embossed in amber, and that should be the United States forever, and and then the rest of the world. Yeah. The civil rights movement. And the Civil Rights Act and all the stuff that LBJ, despite the fact that he mm. was kind of a, a, a nut, yeah, uh, the stuff that he pushed through was mm. certainly not to their liking. Yeah, I mean that's a that's a good that's a good point because the the official unofficial version is that the big policy change was Vietnam, and then and you get into a problem of well the the proof is in what didn't happen. It's the it's the dog that didn't bark. <laughs> 
is is the policy change. You could argue, you know, you got to go do your own research. Don't, don't. I'm not giving an affidavit here. Don't. I'm not under oath. (laughs) But I feel you said in discovery, (laughs) sir. You said exactly. But I feel, from what I've looked into it, I feel comfortable that he, that JFK was not going to bite down as hard on Vietnam. That he was going to take an even uh, softer line with. Mm the Soviets. And so the fact that that didn't happen is kind of the policy change. There's some more obscure things that are interesting. That's that's another thing. If you if you ha- if you're interested in conspiracy theories, you should go research it because you you won't get the answer. The truth is out there, but you'll, you're not going to find it. And it will and, happen though. You'll learn interesting things. Like I never knew. I had no idea until like my third time around with the JFK thing. It was a Norman Mailer book about mm. Lee Harvey Oswald. Yes. It was the first time I learned that Lee Harvey Oswald defected to the Soviet Union mm-hmm. and tried to become a Soviet citizen. Mm-hmm. Married a Russian, uh, a Russian general's daughter. Yes. And brought her back to America. Yeah. Where he mistreated her. This isn't like 1960. He's doing this. It's it's just supremely weird. All right. There's just there's something. It just doesn't pass the smell test. There's something going on. Maybe he still did it and the magic pool and all that. Maybe that still happened. But there's more. There's other stuff. And some of the other stuff I learned that, that I found fascinating was there. I think I can't remember exactly what it's called. It's the Strategic Oil Reserve or something like that. Mm. It's basically a corporate handout to oil companies to make sure there's always going to be enough oil on hand for a certain amount of time which like a lot of things is a good idea to begin with but they they run it up to this kind of ridiculous thing where they they were getting all these tax handouts and Kennedy was going to axe that and another more even more obscure thing uh, with Kennedy's uh, alliance for progress or whatever the, the thing in south and central america mm. Um, what he was going to do was start an aid program where he was going to give direct aid to these countries in South and Central America, but he wasn't going to do it in dollars. He wasn't going to do it in Federal Reserve notes, which is what dollars are. He was going to print up real live government money, which ah. which meant he could just do it without having to go through the Federal Reserve system. Kennedy bucks. Kennedy bucks. And, <laughs> and they were going to have the full faith and credit of the U.S. government, legal tender, and basically creating a competitor to the money monopoly. Ah, that's interesting. And it, people get killed for money all the time. Well, you know, there's a, there's a conspiracy theory out there that mm-hmm. the Titanic was sunk mm-hmm. In order to push through the Federal Reserve Bank, mm. I don't have details on it yet because I'm still that, I've looking into never it. ever heard that one. Wow, I'll let you know when that episode. I mean, we finished. could get on the Google right now. We could spend the rest of the day trying to run that one down, and we, <laughs> we wouldn't have an answer. We wouldn't have an answer. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Even though I don't consider myself a conspiracy theorist, I really dislike debunkers when they are just coming from a position of you should know better or there's no reason to go picking into this or this is so obvious that it's the way that it went and i think it's it's bad when there's conspiracy theories that have been around long enough that there's an there's an official unofficial version of like okay let's just say strictly theoretically uh i think the moon landings were faked right and you could get a conspiracy theory like yeah yeah totally they were faked and Stanley Kubrick. Stanley Kubrick directed him. It was like yeah. no, they did. They had a they had a bunch of science guys. No, it was Stanley Kubrick right. faked the moon landing. Right. They be, the, that kind of person just becomes just as rigid and doctrinaire as the official story debunker. So you gotta you kind of gotta be careful. You're not becoming that which you most despise. Then it's not about the the event. It's about you and you having to feel good about. You, at least you're, there's one thing in this crazy world you're you're sure of, and 
It's a Stanley Kubrick. Yeah. But that's the thing. I love the Stanley Kubrick one because Stanley Kubrick did it and then used some of that footage to make a film, which he then put in cinemas all over the world. Not really a great way to hide the secret. Yeah, but you see, for me, that doesn't hurt it because you've got to remember these are guys and if they pulled that off... Right, it's a debunking If they pulled that off, they'd be like, why did I just pull this off? These fuckers are so stupid. I am so... I'm such the man. Fuck it, put it in that movie. Mm-hmm. Tr- just, just trot it right out in front of them. I mean, that's one of the the elements of the JFK conspiracy. It was literally high noon in Texas <laughs> when they shot him down. They're like, no, we, they, we want everyone to see this. Jacqueline Kennedy afterwards, and they were like, you need to, you know, she had the the picture where she's got blood all over her dress, and mm. and that was evidently that she had cleaned herself up. Evidently, like right after, she looked like she looked like the guys in Pulp Fiction when they shoot the guy in the back of the car, and they're just covered. Yeah, I think she toe. showed up at the hospital looking like that. Yeah, evidently she she looked like that, and and there and she did what she could, but she she wasn't going to change her dress and had the blood all over it, and and some of the advisors were like, no, you should. Take, I mean, that's terrible. It's you know, change your dress. It's like, no, I want them to see what they've done. If I, you want to put the conspiracy theorist jacket on me, I'll I'll wear it for that. I mean, I think there was just yeah. there's just enough stuff like people saying they were involved, people copying to it that are they had the the means, the motives. Mm. The one JFK thing that's always not run true for me, actually, is mm-hmm. the, the magic bullet. The bullet on the stretcher is yeah. even deformed. So how did it go through? Was yeah. it two human bodies, three human bodies, and two, part of a car? Two, but like in multiple places. Right. Yeah. And then it shows up in pristine condition on yeah. the stretcher. So obviously somebody put that bullet on the stretcher. That's not the bullet that did all those yeah. things. Yeah. If we want to say, yes, a bullet coincidentally on this very important day mm-hmm. did all these crazy things that bullets don't normally do but they, they could but it's not that bullet so yeah. that right there tells you somebody had the foresight to go quick yeah. put a bullet on that stretcher or, or or themselves went uh maybe i should just put a bullet on that stretcher because yeah. why would you do it otherwise yeah i just happen to have a bullet yeah. of the same caliber and we don't even know who did it yet so yeah we don't know except for oh, i mean did you have 22s in your right yeah. front pocket yeah. 38 shell <laughs> over here. Your 45 is in your back pocket, just in case, you know. Just put something on that, yeah. Yeah, there's just so much information on that particular case. And that also got me because part of this unit that we did um, when I was in high school was the list of the people, the witnesses, and the people that were involved on the fringes of it that just suddenly disappeared or died in one car accidents and stuff so yeah. it got me on like a horror movie like on a visceral level of fear it had that sense of like stakes of like this uh this kind of danger to it if you find out too much you yeah know, you'll become a target that was the the uh the professional conspiracy theory researcher that i met many many years ago in Brno. he said uh statistically people who research the kennedy assassination or to or are tangentially associated with it mm. die way more often mm. than any other group of people who do not see active combat mm. and what's mm. the number one way they die he asked me what do you think uh, jumping out of windows or something? car crashes car crashes yeah and it is known he said again i have yet to confirm this that the cia had in the early 60s perfected a sleeping agent Mm -hmm. that could be put into a gel that Mm -hmm. was colorless and odorless and you just needed a very thin layer and they thinking hey we could use this for assassinations you just Mm -hmm. put it on a steering wheel people fall asleep they crash they die yeah oh it's natural and then it evaporates 
yeah. rather quickly, I guess. Well, this yeah, this is called, falls in the category of stuff that you learn, and like you can you can say I'm a kook and I need to wear a tinfoil hat because <laughs> I think a conspiracy killed Kennedy. Fine, but come on, the the CIA hasn't developed stuff like that. You think that's outside the realm of the possible? I think you're the kook, and I think you're <laughs> the one who who is a, a naive, the point of, of dangerous. So would you say that at least the willingness to entertain most or some conspiracy theories is the sign of a of a healthy and active mind? Oh, of course I would. I mean, I'm not just because I do it, but uh, <laughs> it's the obvious reason. You can't just go ruling stuff out, and the way. I've kind of come to view the world as public and even a lot of private interactions. Is, it's just narratives interacting and sometimes competing. Uh, an official explanation, like the Warren Commission reports, the classic one is like, what, are 27 volumes or something like that? Yeah. That's a 27-volume narrative of what they're saying it is. And you know, even with that, as extensive as it was, they had to leave stuff out. Right. They had to... It should wait. have been 50. They wait. Yeah. If it was every single thing they looked into or poked at, it would have been a, It would have been 150. Yeah. There was, at some point, there was a, a, an editorial function came in to construct a version, to construct a narrative. And it's a, it's a fiction, which, again, to go back, because it's fiction doesn't mean it's not true, necessarily. It just mm. means it's been constructed. It's a, it's a creation. It's man-made. This should have, like, a warning. Everything in the world should have a warning. Caution, this is not what it looks like, or this is not exactly what it looks <laughs> like. Or, caution, you, half of what you're perceiving with this is you're, being, you're making it up. Thank you for visiting The Conspiracy Clearinghouse. We're closing now, but we'll open another crate in the next episode. Until then, thank you for listening.